So we're going to read two verses of Scripture from 1 John chapter 2. And if you'd like to turn there, we're going to read from verse 15. And I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I just thank you for the, uh, the privilege it is to gather around your word. It's a privilege that we never want to take for granted, both in the reality that we have in this country to freely worship you and express our faith, but also the reality that we have of your love for us, expressed, proclaimed, declared through the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the way that he made for us to come boldly before your throne of grace, standing in the beauty of your saving work. Lord, may we never take that for granted. May we build our lives upon the reality of what you have done for us. And I pray, Lord, as we read from your word this morning, speak to our hearts. I thank you that you are a God who from the beginning spoke and you continue to speak. So often I believe we miss what it is that you're saying. But give us this morning ears to hear you. Hearts that continue to desire and seek after you and long to be transformed more into your image. Come and have your way in our hearts and lives this day. We pray together in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we're going to read 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, continuing on in this series. And the Apostle John wrote, he writes these words, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the Lord's Word to us today, and I want to talk to us on this theme, secure your affection, or if you like it better, is your affection secure? Let me set it up this way. How many of us here enjoy internet shopping? Let's be honest, moment of accountability, only three of us. Well, the rest of you need to get on board, and I know from time to time with a bit of tongue-in-cheek, I talk about technology and the world we live in, but surely one of the greatest inventions we have before us is internet shopping. No more malls, no more crowds, no more parking, and all that comes with a visit to the mall. All I need to do is sit on my computer at home. I can purchase anything from far corners of the globe, all with the click of a mouse. I thought you'd be a little more excited. I've got to say, we'll move on. Internet shopping. All right, let's, let's, just, let's just move on. Let's move on. Okay. I, I think internet shopping is, is a wonderful invention, and I was thinking of all its many benefits recently as I logged online. For some time, my wife has been um, nudging me lovingly to get a new wedding band. I'd lost my wedding band some years ago, actually. Not sure where it was. She said, you need to get a new one. And to be honest, I'd avoided it because I don't like jewelry stores. Is there any men who do not like jewelry stores? There's just only so much bling that a bloke can handle. I walk in, I see the price tags of these little jewels, and it's like the bank balance just drains out of your back pocket. 
So I'd put it off. But just the other day, I logged on there. I thought, this is incredible. In the store, all these rings cost a, an, an arm and a leg, a small fortune. And then I found one genuine tungsten ring from China, $9. This is incredible. So I bought three of them. I'm wearing one today, if you'd like to admire it, after they all came with their official certificate of authenticity, written in Chinese. But it's a wonderful thing, internet shopping. The dangers with internet shopping is that not everything is always as it seems. Not, not every shopping purchase I've had has been quite that successful. And in fact, one other example, some years ago now, I logged online to buy an exercise bike. I thought, I need to get fit, need to get in shape. And so I bought this bike. It looked fantastic. And it came in the mail. I thought, it's a rather small box. And it did look exactly like what it did in the picture. It was just that it was three feet high. And I thought, I've never seen an exercise bike that is that small. So it quickly was removed from our house. The point is simply this. It's easy to present something that looks like the real deal. And we're in an age where so many images are presented, not just in terms of Christian faith, but what life looks like, who it is that we're supposed to be. I love in the, the bridge of that song we sung this morning, and are we there? We're gone. That happened in the early service too. I'm not sure what the Lord's saying, but if I cut out, we'll just press on. What was I talking about? The genuine article. There's so many images. I'll ignore that comment from the front row. We'll press on. There's so many images out there. What is the genuine article? And part of the reason I believe that John is writing this book is uh, this, this particular letter, writing as an old man, and he's writing in a world of second and third generation Christians. And in some ways, they lost sight of the genuine article. What does it actually look like to be a man of faith, living in this world? What, what has changed? What is the genuine article? Because there's, there's many pretenders. There's many examples out there that look like the real deal, and it's only on closer examination that the true issues become noticeable. And here's the first reality from these two verses that we read. What is the genuine article? This is how I would summarize it. It is a people whose affections are secure. Secure not in the things of this world. He talks about all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. All that is in the world, if anyone loves it, the love of the Father is not in him. Where do our affections lie. And I'd make this observation from this particular passage. You see, John is saying that there is a battle for our affection. The question is not what, whether we will love. The question is what we will love. Where, we, where will we secure our affections? We are built as people, I would suggest, who are hardwired to love. Everybody loves something. Everybody is made to love so the challenge for us as believers, John is pulling us back to this place saying, here is the genuine article. It's not like the world whose affections are anchored into the things of this world. But we live as a people with our affections anchored in to Him. And the other interesting thing is, John is painting a picture here that these two battling affections are mutually exclusive. 
If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. It is one or the other. There's a battle for your affection. Where will we place our affections? So just think with me through some questions here. Let's see. Where, where are our affections anchored? Truly. And a lot of these are very subtle. What is it that we seek with the greatest passion? Is it the wealth of the world or is it the riches of grace? What is it that holds the greatest appeal? Because remember, it's going to be one or it's going to be the other. Where are we anchored? Is it the pleasures of the world or is it the pleasures at God's right hand? What do we place the greatest confidence in? Is it our bank accounts? Is it our investments? Or is it in a living and faithful God who has promised to provide? He says, why, why do you labor and toil? Just trust me. Why are you anxious? Why are you living controlled by this fear and anxiety for the things of this world? Trust me. Here's one. Where do you get the most joy? Spending money for personal pleasure or spending money to further the gospel? What about you? But that one kind of hurts a bit. That, that hurts a little. Let's move on very quickly. What is it that most dominates our thinking? Is it what's going on in the world or is it what's going on in the kingdom of God? I remember being so challenged a few years ago along a similar line and thinking to the Lord, well, Lord, I, you know, my passion is for you. My desire is for you. And then the Lord challenged me and said, well, Andrew, what is the first thing that you do each and every morning? And I'm sure we all have our routines. But my first thing every morning is I get up, I make a cup of coffee, and then I grab my phone or my iPad and I check the news. Anyone else out there? And it's almost like this habitual thing. And the Lord was challenging me saying, what's the first thing that you fill your mind with each and every day? Is it the things of the world, the things of the kingdom? Are you so aware of the things going on all around you? Are you as aware of the things that are going on around you in the kingdom of God? What is it that steals our attention and our affection? Here's a quote just to, uh, to get you thinking. I love some of the quotes of yesteryear from fathers from pre previous generation. Frederick Huntington, he said this back in 1890. It's not scientific doubt, not atheism, not pantheism, not agnosticism that in our day and in this land is likely to quench the light of the gospel. It's a proud, sensuous, selfish, luxurious, church-going, hollow-hearted prosperity. Just let that sort of settle on you a little bit and that's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? And that's my point here is that John is reminding us there's a genuine article as the people of God for our affections to be burning for something different than what this world offers. There is a battle for your affection. Where are your affections secured? And I want to suggest just a couple of keys, as many others, from this very passage that John is pointing us towards. How can we be a people whose affections are secured in the right place. Number one, if you're taking notes. We see here that the world is driven by a desire for something. That's the desire, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. That's the world's desire. There's always something. 
Whereas this passage says that we should be driven not by a desire for something, but for someone. For those who love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's not the love of principle, not the love of process. It's the love of God. See, the world continually tells us, you, you need something. You need something. If you just have this, if you just have those possessions, if you can just score that dream job, if you can just find that right person, if you can reach that place in your life. We're controlled by the some things, whereas we should be the people of God whose desire are anchored into the someone. And the problem is not with what's on the list, it's that we have a list at all. What, why is it that we're such a restless generation, both in the church and out of the church? I think people genuinely are searching. There's this restless hunger. Why are we so discontent? Why do people generally, broad generalizations here, I know, why do we have so much and yet really have so little? There's so little joy. There's so little contentment. How many people do you know, either in the church or in the world, who are truly content? We have this insatiable desire for the something. And we've got to be so careful in the church that that doesn't become our desire and that God just becomes another means for us to find that something. He's, he's the method. He's the means by which we can achieve this or that or the other. He's not a means to an end. He is the end. That's what Jesus came, not to give us stuff. You see, in Jesus' day, there were so many people, wasn't there, chasing him for what he could do. The disciples were hanging around talking about who was going to be the greatest. I'm going to have this position, that, that level of authority in this new kingdom. The sick and the needy, they all came after him, seeking healing. And so often you see them get healed and then they're gone. But who in those accounts, where were the people seeking Jesus for who he was? And we've got to be so careful in our modern society. It's so easy to come and to seek the Lord for what he can give us. Because that's what we're programmed to do. We're programmed to look for the something. And John's saying, no, calibrate your heart. Come back to the place where you're truly searching and longing for the someone. Do we seek him because he is attractive or do we seek him because what he has is attractive to us? It's a means to an end. If we're searching for the gifts and not the giver, it's idolatry. It's what it is. Would Jesus truly be enough? Now, I'm not saying as a people, don't, don't press in for anything. You know, we, we are called to press in, to pursue God, to seek after him. But ultimately, he is the prize not anything that he can do for us. It's him. If all you have is Jesus, if all you have is his, his gift of grace, his relationship with the Father, is that enough? Will that be enough? Because if it's not, then probably somewhere down there, there's a longing for a something rather than a someone. So that's the first one. Calibrate our hearts to search for the someone, not the something. The second one is this. The world's 
is looking for experience, whereas we're called to pursue edification. Let me explain what I mean. Verse 17 says this, the world is passing away along with its desires, the desires of flesh, the desires, that word literally means lusts or passion. What is it that the world is seeking for? I would say this, the world is, ex- is seeking for an experience. We want to be moved, we want to we feel something. Why is it that we go along to concerts and we you know, do different things? We're looking for some sort of an emotional experience. We want, we want to feel, but there should be a different goal. So he says here, the world is passing along with its desires, but we're here to do the will of God. We're here for a different purpose, not just for experiences. Now, I'm not diminishing experiences at all. I'm just saying there's a calibration that has to happen that so often we've made the end of our faith, what we're truly longing for, an experience. Adam uh, passed on this week a a very interesting article by a guy. His name is Matt Merker, and he was talking about the modern contemporary church. Not our church, of course. This is all the other churches out there. But he's, he's saying that there is this tendency in our modern church experience to gear everything in our service towards an experience. That is often the driving force. And we know just how to produce an experience. It's what the world says. You're here for an experience. So we've got the service down pat. We know exactly the time frame to do it. We can play the right songs. We can have the music at the, you know, the right volume. We can have the lights doing what they need to do. And it's all built around this premise of what we're really after is an experience. In fact, often churches, they've gone away from moving, uh, from calling it a worship service and it's now worship experience, because that's what, as humanity, we often long for. We want an experience. And the title of his article was, Does Your Heart Run on Hype? Does your heart run on hype? See, the problem is that if we're all geared towards an experience only, then we can miss the reality of who it is we're supposed to be and why it is that we are supposed to gather. As the churches, it becomes about it becomes just a mission for us to experience some sort of emotional reaction as we gather. And as attendees, as Christians, we come along just just wanting an experience, not really wanting to engage. The problem with experience is that it costs nothing and it requires nothing. Here's perhaps a clumsy example, but it'll illustrate the point. A couple of weeks ago, I've been toying with this idea for some time, for good or for bad, I went and signed up at a gym. Just over two weeks ago, it's not in a moment for an amen. And in fact, I was inspired by my wife who earlier this year, she said both of us have not done any sort of formal exercise or gymming for many years now going through having young kids. And she said earlier this year, it's one of my goals for the year, I'm going to get fit. And so she signed up and she's gone along regularly and seeing a lot of great fruit from that, which is wonderful. So I said, well, I can't let her outdo me. I need to go and sign up to the gym myself, which I did, haven't done for many years, and I've been enjoying going along the last couple of weeks and working out. But you see, you don't go to a gym just for an experience. I could walk into the gym, I could drink my protein shake, I could just enjoy the atmosphere, listen to the music, have a chat to some of the people around, you know, admire from a distance all of the, the big heavy weights, and then walk out go home to my wife and say, sweetheart, I just did 
Another gym. Another gym experience. It was wonderful. I was there. And there might be some benefit from that. It might help my mental state a little bit. It might, you know, ap- appeal to my conscience, placate my conscience. Well, I've gone to church and I've gone to the gym and I've had my experience and, and that was it and it was, it was wonderful. But you see, the point that you go to the gym, well, for most of us anyway, is not for an experience. It's for edification. Now, that word means to be built up and strengthened. Why do we go to the gym? For an experience or do we go to be built up and strengthened? You see, there is a purpose that we go there and we attend, we have a workout, we push through the pain because the goal in mind is not just to have an experience, it is to be edified. Now, I'm not discounting experiences. We should experience the glory and grace of God as we gather. We should. But that's not the end in and of itself. Not to just have this experience that costs nothing, requires nothing. We walk out the door at the end of the service. We say, well, that was wonderful. Were you moved? I was moved. Ears are tickled. And there's no lasting fruit that occurs or results in our lives. See, what we're pursuing as we gather together, our desire is not just for experiences that have no lasting fruit. We gather to be edified, we gather to be built up, to be strengthened, not to be entertained, but to engage, to seek God in worship, in sacrament, in His Word, to be built up and and to in turn stir others to good works. We come to be changed, but there is a responsibility that we have as we come. What is our heart in coming to seek God? Because my challenge is I think that we've become a generation that we want to be moved, we just don't want to be molded. We want to be moved, we want to feel, but we don't want to be made into His image, like the potter. I mean, that's not a pleasant process. We want something that costs nothing and requires nothing. It's interesting, if you read through the Gospels, do it this week with this lens in mind. You see, Jesus never invited anyone to come to Him for an emotional experience alone. Just come to me and you'll feel better about your life. You'll feel happy. You see, He he said, come to me, pick up your cross and follow. Lay everything you have down and come follow me. Give away all your wealth and find something that is greater than anything this world could offer. See, there was a cost, wasn't there? He wasn't interested in a people who would simply be moved. He was interested in a people who would be molded into His image, who would come not to be entertained, not just to hear good sermons, but to be built up and strengthened. So we're not we're not anchoring our desires, here's the point, into an experience. That's what the world says. It's the desires of the flesh. It's the desires. We just want to give us the experience. And we're like, well, experience is fine, but we're really here for edification. We're here to live for the will of God. We're here to seek after Him, to pursue Him, to press in at our own cost, to see Him make us into the people that He would have us be. We okay? We're very quiet this morning. We're all right? Tracking along. So number three is this. The world says live for that which is temporal, but John is saying anchor your affections into that which is eternal. 
Again, verse 17, it says, The world is passing away. All that the world desires, it's just passing through. It's temporal. But he who does the will of God will abide forever. We're anchoring into something that is not passing away, but it is eternal. See, there's a process, but there is an eternal prize. How many of us have been watching the Commonwealth Games over the last couple of weeks? No, big, big shakes of the head. We, we have, I'm not sure how this has happened, but we've developed a household of children that just seem to be passionate for sport, particularly Commonwealth Games, Winter Olympics, Olympics. When it's on, all they want to do is watch the sport. So clearly we've done something right as parents. They're good little Australians. But all four of them, they're glued to the screen. They love it. doesn't matter what the event is. They're there. They're passionately supporting, cheering on the different athletes. And uh, I don't watch nearly as much as them. So I'm walking in the door and they're giving me the update. We've got two gold medals in this and silver and bronze. And, but it's interesting because as they watch, they're clearly inspired by the efforts of the athletes. And they'll often say, every time, doesn't matter what sport it is, they're like, oh, that was fantastic. That's what I want to do. I want to represent Australia at the Commonwealth Games in gymnastics. You know, minds of kids, they're wonderful. And then they'll be watching another sport and it'll be swimming. And they'll say, you see, that, 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 that's what I'm going to do there. I'm going to represent Australia in swimming. So I'd say we're up to at least a dozen different disciplines that they're aiming towards representing Australia. And as a father, I have to say to them, you know, it's great to desire the prize, isn't it? It's great to desire to be standing there on the platform, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But you've got to realize that there is a process, that there's a sacrifice that's involved. And one of the gymnasts, for example, they were talking about, I think she was a younger girl, 16, 17, first Commonwealth Games, and the entire family had moved from rural Australia up to Brisbane to base there. Like The entire lives of the family had been changed just so this one girl could follow her dream to compete at the Commonwealth Games. And I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. I'm just saying that there is a cost and there's a process involved in the prize. And the reality is that we live in a world where everything is geared towards instant gratification. I want it now. And if I can't get it now, then what's the point in even having it at all? We live so much of our lives with that mentality. One example... I know we talked about internet shopping, but the, the best thing after internet shopping is home shop. Anyone tried home shop? None of you guys use home shop. Wow. Your lives are about to be changed. You're welcome. Home shop is where you order all of your groceries from Woolworths or Coles online. You know home shop? Woolworths? No? Okay, move on. This is fantastic. See, there was a day, another thing along with visiting malls that I never used to like doing was going to do the groceries, up and down the aisles, and if it's an unfamiliar supermarket, you know, you've got to find where everything is, and these days it's all online, and they save your preferences. Literally, all I have to do to order anything is log on to my account, edit whatever I need to do, click the button, and the groceries appear at my door the exact time that I want them to appear. How phenomenal is that? That's wonderful. And at times I get a little bit annoyed because they might have something out of stock. You know, the berries are not in or they're slightly more expensive. And, but I, as I thought about that, it's fascinating to me that we as a society have become so removed from 
the process. We're just focused on the end product. Forget about the process. You know, there was an era where if you wanted to have a punnet of berries, you'd have to go out to the backyard with a shovel and dig a hole and buy some manure and pray that the conditions were right and plant a seed and hang in there for two to five years. And if you're lucky, at the end of the day, you might have some berries to present on your kitchen table. These days, it's a click of a button. Forget the berries are not in season. Who knows where they're coming from? There's berries and they're on my doorstep and they taste all right. The problem is, as I said, that we have lost sight of what it actually means to persevere in the process. We're so removed from it. There are lessons that can only be learned in the process. I think so often we abort the purposes of God as people because we're not interested in the process. Well, God, if I can't click it, then I don't want it. And I'm not going to press in to persevere. I mean, that's, you serious? Get a shovel and dig in the backyard and wait two to five years? You've got to be kidding me. The problem is that there's, there's lessons in the process that we've got to learn. That if we truly want to be who God's calling us to be, yes, He might be giving us a call. Maybe that is your call to stand there in the gold medal position to receive that prize. I mean, all of us have a prize. But there's a process that we've got to go through to get to the prize. And in order to get there, we've got to anchor ourselves not in the the temporal, but in the eternal. Not in this instant mentality. We've got to know what it means to persevere through thick and through thin. Through difficulties, through challenges, perseverance is that choice to press through when it gets tough. But our affections are not anchored in the instant. They're anchored in the eternal will of God that abides forever. Can we get the worship team up? I just want to... We have a higher call than just living for the things of this world. Where are your affections secured? Where are they anchored? I think for me it is a regular recalibration that so often the attention and the affection of my heart can be drawn to other things. But if we're going to be who we're called to be, then we need to assure that we are the genuine article, that our affections are anchored in to the living God. Him and Him alone, not a something but a someone. Not just an experience. Experiences are wonderful, but a process of edification. Not just the instant now, but pressing in to see what God has for us. Even things that I might never see the fruit of in my own life. What am I contending for and pressing in for that is bigger than myself? here's, Here's one test. How much of my prayer life is consumed simply with me and my needs? Now, I'm not saying that you're not important. And I'm not seeing that, saying that your needs are not important. But how much of us is anchored into us and the worldly desires? How much of our desires are anchored into Him? So I want us to take communion and there's, there's so many different things that are, are worthy of mentioning as we gather around the Lord's table. And often, as you know, for those who are regular, we do it standing around the outside of the auditorium. We do it as a family. 
But there is a sense, yes, of, of there being this, this family declaration of what God has done. But there's also a sense of the personal reality. And I feel this morning what the Lord wants us to do, just as the worship team is going to play a song, is that we, we're going to come in your own space. There's a communion table at the front and the back. And there's no better moment that as you take the bread, representing the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we take the cup, representing his blood that was shed, as we do that in remembrance of who he is and what he's done, But there's no better moment than that to remind ourselves that our hope, that our joy, that our strength, that our security, that our everything is anchored not in the things of this world, but in Him, in who He is and in His eternal promise to us. That's where we're building our lives. So just as you're ready, as we... So we sing this song, you can come forward, as I said, the table at the front and the back. You might want to kneel at the front, you might just want to sit in your seat quietly, but let's allow this to be that recalibration moment. And don't rush through this process. As I said, allow this to be a recalibration moment. That's my sense for every one of us here. Secure your affections in Him. Amen.